Chose, what's up, I'm not a fan. I'm JD Bunkus. Again, hit me up anytime about how you're feeling about Charlie right now and his impact on the Blue Jays. Both on Twitter and Instagram at JD Bunkus. Read some of them after I talk to Blair at 11. Jump back into this. I also want to talk to Blair briefly about Matt's. How um, Matt's was so good at the beginning of the season, we all gassed him out. We were like, Matt's, 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 Matt's. And then he started to struggle a bit, and we all just were like, oh, Matt stinks. We, oh, yeah, this is who he is. He's a five ERA guy. And that's like we got a whole season of him, basically. And he's been a sub four ERA guy making five million bucks. His ERA is better than Ryu's. And I said Ryu is one of the positive overlooked stories of the season, which is like a further disrespect to Matt's. Old Matsy. Doesn't get brought up at all in the free agent conversation. Not saying I feel the same way about him as I do about Robbie Ray and Semyon, duh. But worth noting that the guy is a free agent and has done his job spectacularly well this year and that that trade was an amazing one for this front office. It's like everything about it was like overlooked, 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 overlooked. Or sorry, no, that's stupid. Overrated, 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 overrated to completely overlooked and zero respect for Mats. Old Matsy. I can't tell, again, if I'm given respect or not to this weird Hurricanes-Canadians rivalry thing that's going on. Tom Dundon. Is he my favorite owner or is he the cheesiest owner? Julian McKenzie of The Athletic. What's up, man? How are we doing? You there? We have Julian? We don't have Julian. We might have Julian. He might be in the void. It's supposed to be connected. His line dropped. Like I said going into the break, it's a pretty... It's... I think it's that the Hurricanes are one of those social media teams where... And the bunch of jerk stuff and the... What's it called? Storm Surge. They just do things that I think are corny, so I wonder if I'm just putting the corny uh, label on the Hurricanes when really what this is is not. But... uh, I like that they made it $6.1 million in this offer sheet for the one season because it actually forces Montreal to have a conversation. And so I think I need to stop looking at this as lame just because it's the Hurricanes, it's the Storm Surge team, it's the branding team, it's the ones that do things for clout on social. I actually, God, I got to stop hating. I like it. Julie McKenzie of The Athletic, actually there this time. So so Lance says, uh, what's up, man? How are you doing? Doing good. Sorry uh, if I uh, had you, you know, being in the awkward moment where you thought I was there and I wasn't there. Just yeah, dealing with some that happened. activity guess, issues. My bad. Nah, but here's the thing. It's like we're so far into pandemic shows that that's the least of my worries, you know? <laughs> it's like that's, that's not really an issue. It's like, oh, a guest wasn't there. Something happened. It's like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. Let's just do this. Um, <laughs> it's more like just like immediately recycling my take. And then because I have to recycle the take when you listen to it, you go, oh, do I really believe in this? But this is where I'm at with this thing, man. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. I don't know if this is lame or cool or good for hockey. I, I just, the more I look at it, 
the more I feel like this is good because we're talking about it, you're on. This is good because it forces a hockey debate, which is always good for the sport. But there's just something about it that kind of seems lame, and I don't know if it's because of it was the tweets and the whole like copying the Aho thing. Like, uh, there's just something about it that doesn't sit quite the way that I want it to, and I can't put my finger on it. I don't know. I think this is pretty cool because Good, like, okay. the team could have the, the the Carolina Hurricanes could have easily been like, all right, we're just going to offer sheet him. And we could have easily been on Twitter and found a whole bunch of different ways to talk about how petty they could have been. And they literally took like, I can't think of any other way they could have been more petty. Like they meant they, they added the 15 at the end of the salary. They have the $20 signing bonus, which is supposed to be, Aho's number. Someone told me this, uh, and I'm just trying to. If you could, if if you know for yourself, you could, you could totally check me. But I think uh, Aho was drafted like 35th overall, if I'm not mistaken, in his draft class. Mm -hmm. And 15 plus 20 is 35. So there's like a whole level. There's all these different levels of pettiness that the 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 release matching word for word as well like i like this i think this is like a cool thing it's just that because we're used to the nhl being corny and behind the times it's easy to be like oh okay this is corny also the carolina hurricanes we know with a bunch of jerks thing i think also it's a market thing too like i think people in toronto would see this be like oh it's the bunch of jerks but also in montreal like people have been annoyed with them too i think it's a market thing i think everyone else should just lighten up just have fun with this this is clearly like at least for fans anyway who aren't invested in either of these teams, this is something they could at least enjoy. I don't think it's that corny. Okay, good. All right, fine. I'm all the way in on it because I was there and I couldn't do it. And sometimes people will sway me in a take and I'm like, okay. Um, sometimes it will embolden me the complete other way. Like I just had Emery Hunt on. We were talking about Cam Newton versus Mac Jones. And every point he, he brought up about Cam Newton, I was like, nope, this is even more reason why I'm all the way in on Mac Jones. This is the opposite right now. Where I'm like, nope, this is fun. This is good. I like this. Uh, I'm just going to completely buy into it. So now we get to the actual thing, right? Which is, okay, it's mm-hmm. one year, 6.1 million for a guy that was like healthy, scratched a bunch. And someone who I'll admit, I take a lot of shots at because he was drafted before Brady Kachuk. And Habs fans are like, oh, no, he's done pretty good in playoffs. And, and Brady Kachuk has got no playoff goals. I'm like, uh, if the Canadians called to try to make that deal tomorrow, it would be one of the most like laughed at trades in the history of the league. Like just a 0% chance happening. So... He's had this complicated career where he's had some big moments in the postseason. He's been largely disappointing, though, I would say. But then you measure that with the fact that he's 21 years old, and then you look at those things differently and say he has been a big game player. 6.1 seems like a lot. There's some cap implications for Montreal on this one, but they can sort of be alleviated because we're all assuming that uh, Shea Weber is going to go on the IL. But Mm -hmm. just like... How do you feel most people in Montreal and yourself are when it comes to this guy and swapping him for a first and a third? Because that's essentially what this trade would be. I think a lot of people are, from what I've seen, feel that the money is a lot. And a lot of people are already trying to think, okay, what can the Montreal Canadiens do with that first round pick? Like, what can they can they go out right. and make a move and put it for a trade for a Christian Dvorak? For example, that's the name that's been floating around for the last few weeks in terms of a guy the Canadians could get. Because if Jesperi Kakanemi goes, like the Canadian center depth is Nick Suzuki, uh, Jake Evans, Cedric mm. Paquette. Uh, there's been talk about 
you know, hey, can Mathieu Perrault, who they signed in the offseason, could he play center? And from what I remember of the of the press conference that he had or the Zoom meeting that he had with media, like he sounded like a guy who would be like, okay, if you need me to play center, I'll do it, I guess. He doesn't mm. sound like someone you're like, okay, no, he's definitely our number three center. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ryan Paling is also waiting in the wings as well. So I forgot he existed. Young- Good for Ryan Paling reference. It's like, all right, I forgot when that guy <laughs> made his debut. It was like, oh, this is New Gretzky. And it's like, oh, it turned out not. Turned out not so much. Well, I mean, the thing that's the thing with centers, right? Like, they're not necessarily – I mean, not every center that comes into the National Hockey League is just going to – all right, be an NHL-ready player right away. Sometimes you need to go through what Ryan Paling is going through. You play like one or two NHL games. You go back to the American Hockey League. You hone your skills. Then you get more time. And mm-hmm. Jesperi Kakanemi, when you look back at the way that he was put into the NHL and put into the position he was in, this is a guy who I said from jump should have been seasoned and not rushed. Like I, I think the Canadians should have let him play that first year after he was drafted in, in back in Finland. Like I think mm-hmm. he, it like. When I wrote about this like two, three years ago, I thought we wouldn't see Jesperi Kakanemi as a proper NHL player until like this coming season. Now, and yeah. the Canadians pretty much have to deal with that. Yeah. Oof. I think you got a match because the draft pick is going to be later. And he is just like, yeah, like you said it, you're losing the center depth. He's 21 years old. What kind of messaging is it that you would be giving up on a guy when it's a one-year contract? Um I just think that, yeah, you're right. The only case that you could make is could you shop around those picks and get something else? And I guess the other name that would come up is the one that, you know, oh, man, I wonder what uh, my guy Eric Engels mentions were like yesterday when he did the Jack Eichel thing where he's like, Jack Eichel's boarding a plane to Montreal. And everyone's like, what? And then he's like, it could be that he's going to this thing that he's definitely going to, which is a biosteel camp a second later. Melted down the internet. I didn't have the heart. I was going to write him something funny. I know. I was going to write him something funny. I was like, nah, this is one of those situations where you're just like, ah, I'll just, you know, there's no need to be the ha-ha, the jokester who comes over the top with one right yeah. now. But yeah, so he put the Eichel thing out there, but it kind of did get me thinking how I'm like, okay, yeah, they're in the division or whatever, but sort of makes sense as one of the teams. I could totally see Eichel on Montreal, and I could see it using a guy like a Kotkaniemi in a trade, or I could see it as using picks in a trade. Like... That actually feels like a destination that makes sense to me. The only problem is, what do you think about Montreal moving forward? Is this because the the good case for letting Kakanyemi go is that you actually even reset your timeline a little bit more. You go right. fully into developmental, right? You're saying, hey, we know we got. I don't want to say lucky because they played great, but yeah, there was an element of this isn't what is going to be lasting here moving forward. This isn't something that we're banking on. So we take a step back and then we take a step forward and that is going to be the plan and this is the ultimate way to make people happy with it. Um, I feel like maybe that's the appetite in Montreal. Like that's what people are – how realistic are people about this team moving forward? Like how have expectations changed in the now? I I think it's still really tough to tell because like the the center depth I think is a big key to everything. If Kakanini stays, like this is a team I think people will expect to at least fight for a playoff spot. But like – the way the division that they're in, like I know Tampa Bay, what they essentially just lost like their third line. That's a team that could still be up there. A lot of mm-hmm. people are still picking the Leafs to be better than the Habs this year. The Bruins, people say they they got a little less better. They're still a playoff team in my eyes. The Florida Panthers might be the biggest surprise in that division. That's four teams already I mentioned above the Montreal Canadiens this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the Eichel thing, like 
you know what's funny? Like I was beating that drum earlier in the offseason saying, okay, I think at the end of all of this, the Canadians are going to be the team that ends up with Eichel. But in a really weird way, the Kakanyemi offer sheet kind of hurts their leverage because the Canadians will enter any negotiation now for a Jack Eichel move. Yes, the Sabres are in a position where they're like, okay, well, we have to offload this player, but the Canadians are really going to be desperate for a center now. And Kakanyemi would have been, in my eyes, like, it's funny. I think at the beginning of this, some people are like, oh, I don't think you put in Kakanyemi. But I think as Eichel remained a Sabre, remains a Sabre, like the asking price goes down and you think, okay, maybe the Canadians could get away with putting Kakanyemi in a deal. Now, mm. at this point, with regardless of whether he's matched or not, you say mm. the Canadians match him, they keep him, you can't trade him, you're pretty much going to have to give up, what, Nick Suzuki, Cole no. Caulfield? And, and that's going to be a non-starter for the Canadians yeah. there. In a really weird way, this move kind of, I'll say it here, I think this kind of takes the Canadians out of the Jack Eichel sweepstakes because I don't think they're in a position where they could make a trade for him while not giving up their future while also, you know, being competitive for next year. If they end up making that move for Jack Eichel, it's just going to be him and Mike Hoffman in a, in a team that might still not be better than those four other teams I mentioned. Yeah, it's so funny to me, though, that we're at a place with the Habs after that run where we would go, oh, you can't trade Nick Suzuki for Jack Eichel. <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, I, I mean, yeah, there's there's two years difference between the two players, and I know one guy makes more. Um, but, God, this is just how I feel about the Eichel sweepstakes is we'll see what ends up actually happening, but the longer this goes, the greater the sense is you can get him for cheaper, and it's not as though his value is going to all of a sudden skyrocket for some team. And, and I just I, I wonder whether we're reaching a point now where – We've started to really, really, really devalue Eichel just because he hasn't moved. Like, I don't, I, I just, again, I go back to the same thing of like a year ago, if you would have asked a Habs fan, hey, you're trading Nick Suzuki for Jack Eichel. And they're like, yeah, obviously we're doing that. And then now, like, I think it was Merrick who came on here and said that he thinks he's next, uh, who did, I think he's compared to, 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 uh, to Patrice Bergeron. I was like, so okay. many people have made that comparison. Right. So many so, people, not even not even just Jeff Merrick. Like, like yeah. I think even like Jonathan Drouin at a press conference once used that comparison. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm not taking too much from Jonathan Drouin. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he said it? Okay. Uh, I'll take I mean, I Merrick. get it. I'll take I get Merrick's it, word but like, over. Yeah. Uh, no, for sure. But the point is, is that like the Patrice Bergeron-Nick Suzuki uh-huh. comparison has been made like quite some time. Whether it's going to end up being true or not, but mm-hmm. Nick Suzuki has shown his worth as – a center the Montreal Canadiens can at least depend on. And I think in, in a trade for Jack Eichel, like I, I understand the apprehension for Canadians fans not wanting to, to put him in a deal for Eichel. Here's another thing about Jack Eichel as well that not a lot of people are talking about here. This is a guy who is still waiting on figuring out if he could put an artificial disc in his neck. Mm-hmm. Am I the only one who thinks like if a team acquires Jack Eichel, like they probably are okay with that, I don't think they want to have him just play the way that he's playing, clearly hurting with the neck. And if yeah. they do do that, then a team is going to be without Jack Eichel for like what, like months? It's a neck yeah, no. surgery, right? Yeah, like, I mean, that's that's how I'm seeing it. No, it's it's massive, and I got to imagine it's one of the biggest parts in how this is all played out. Is that teams are like, we're not paying you for damaged goods, and Buffalo has to treat this as though he's not. But again, they're going to be coming up like it's September, what, not tomorrow, the day after? Um, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> season's really close. We're less than a month away. So it's going to get resolved, and these deadlines are going to make deals. And the longer this goes, I just I don't think that it's going to be another team that starts to come over the top and overpays for Eichel. That's all. That's my case for it is that you cannot – if you can pay for Eichel and you can get him – you know, 70 cents on the dollar, even with the neck injury. I, I just think that, again, he's 24 years old. You you take that risk because it just it has a chance to pay out or plan out as an all-time trade for your franchise, especially if you move something else. But you're right. I actually don't think that you can trade Suzuki, and I don't think that you can trade Caulfield. I just think it's wild that this is where we've gotten to a year from now. You would probably be overpaying with those two players. I just – I. I think that Montreal does have to kind of look at it now as we are, yeah, taking the step backwards and we are not moving the all-in because if you do go get Eichel, all of a sudden all that pressure is back on Bergevin, all that pressure is back on this team to succeed and they are, you're back in the conversation of, well, you're supposed to be going as deep as you did last year. You're supposed to be better. You're supposed to be winning. You're playing that guy with different guys and, and I don't see that team being ready, although I... I am the same way as you where I don't exactly know what the division is going to look like. Like Tampa's obviously still going to be really good. I think Boston mm-hmm. is going to be good. Toronto's a regular mm-hmm. season team, so they'll probably be good in the regular season. Florida got really gassed up this year, and yet I still don't really have a ton of faith. But it, it does feel a little bit like everyone has taken a step back at the top, and I don't know what that's going to mean for leveling out. Yeah, and we've seen already this year that all you have to do just get yourself in and you give yourself mm-hmm. a chance. And right. Montreal Canadiens have proven that. So they could easily have a team that just kind of labors through the regular season. They claw in as a wild card and anything could happen. If there's any team that's going to believe in that mantra fully for next year, it's going to be the Montreal Canadiens. And I don't know, uh, one, if the Canadians themselves feel that this is a year they need to take a step back because – Again, Suzuki and Caulfield are probably good. I mean, Caulfield in particular is probably going to be a regular in the lineup this year. You're looking at them to produce some magic together. Guys like Mike Hoffman, David Savard are on this team now. Matthew Pejo, I mentioned. Cedric Paquette, I mentioned as well. Like, they made moves that I think are supposed to kind of insulate the core. It's just that the Weber injury just kind of changes a lot and losing Deneau as well. Yeah, it's going to hurt. I think it's just the center thing that needs to get addressed. And Defense and and figuring out what that identity is still going to be. David Savard's not Shea Weber, but he's at least someone who they tried to get someone who's a little at least close in the fact that you know a, a, a body who can try to block shots in front of the net and and try to help out in that way. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think of the Canadians as a team that wants to necessarily be like, okay, we're punting this year. We're trying to take that step back. I see them uh, as a team that at least in their mind thinks, okay. You know, we made to the final last year. We just need to get in. We have Carey Price who, you know, Mm -hmm. he'll be healthy enough by the first few games of the season, if not the start of the season, we have a chance. So, yeah, it really depends on what the division's going to look like. But the Canadians, I don't see them as a team that's saying, okay, we're just going to have to punt this year. The only thing about the... I'm with you on the price thing, and I go, well, they're not... You're never punting a year of Carey Price, right? Because you just saw why. You can't afford to. Right, you can't afford to do it, but you're, like... Deneau is the type of guy where I don't think that they're going to miss him as much in the regular season, but come playoff time, it was just so obvious how much that guy impacted games just being under the skin of other players and just how perfect a guy like that is for the postseason, and that's why you pay him as if you're a team that expects to go there. And then, yeah, losing Weber, I said the same thing like on multiple shows when the Habs were in that run of 
this is what you went out and got this guy for is just he's got that nastiness in the playoffs. He's a big game player. Mm -hmm. He's not afraid of the moment. He brings you just so many different things that, again, over the course of a regular season, we get caught up in this stuff of, well, this is this is this is this. And then every year we learn again that hockey is a different beast in the playoffs. Like, it's just very different. It's very, very different. We do this in all professional sports. We do it in basketball the same way. We're like, oh, why can't this guy score in the half court now? It's like, yeah, because defenses have changed. The intensity of the game has changed. And I just thought Montreal is now losing a couple of those guys. But when they put Carey Price up for the Kraken, it's like that's where it almost felt like they didn't know their own identity of the team. You know? And it made sense. And it, the, the gambit paid off, I guess. But... That is the type of thing that you do as an organization when you're like, well, we can go in either direction. And I just don't like the idea of half measures. And that's how I just feel about Montreal right now is it's kind of like this half measures team. You disagree. I disagree with that particular way that you put it. I think what the Canadians tried to do with Carey Price, they very much valued Jake Allen as a backup goaltender who would essentially carry prices best backup he's ever had since he's been a member of the Montreal Canadians. And they said, you know what? Like, you know, we need him that bad. This is a big risk we're going to take. And I think there are some silver linings. If Carey price was selected uh, and the Canadians were like, okay, well we have like 10 million to spare, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think they looked at it as like, okay, we don't know which direction we're going to go. I think they just saw it as, okay, we want to make sure we keep our backup. This is a wild idea. This could work. I don't think they looked at it as a thing of like, okay, we don't know what direction they're going to go. But as even long as they that they would take prices, the risk, though. But even that they would take the risk of having it happen. Sometimes that's you have I'm to like, do okay, that. We're ready to flip. We're ready to pivot. You know, like we're ready to pivot nah. if this does happen. Is it, yeah, I mean, if it this is that's a thing. If it does happen, but yeah. like I don't necessarily think that that could be looked at. I don't think that necessarily has to be looked at as a team not necessarily sure where it can go. I think that's a team that's just able to consider all of its options and think, okay, if this happens, we could go this way. If this happens, we could still go that way. But I think the Canadians, uh, not to defend them as voraciously as it seemingly have been over the last 20 minutes, but I think they have the idea that they're probably still a team that can try to go for it and compete. I don't think they're going to go that far considering what other teams are going to look like. But I think right now, with the way that they are now, they still have that mindset. I don't think Carey Price being made available makes them a team that's floating aimlessly. Ask me that question, I guess, 20 games in, if they suck, I guess. But right now, I think they're a team that probably thinks they have a shot at competing for a playoff spot this year. I sneaky think they wanted Seattle to take Price. And I just looked at the goaltending market and said, okay, like maybe Seattle would have taken Jake Allen. But also, they ended up trading a goalie that they selected from a team back to that team because there were so many goaltenders and there was just kind of like a pretty healthy market for them this year, right? Like, you just yeah. look at what guys ended up getting in free agents. There was a lot of goalies. It was a shocking amount of goaltenders that were available. I'm like, really? We can't replace Jake Allen? Like, I know he was good last year, but it was Jake Allen. Like, it's he played in a shortened season with Montreal and put together a, a good year. Um and yeah, it was he was good, but it's still like Jake Allen. We're gonna like risk losing Carey Price, our Hall of Famer, for Jake Allen, and have it not be like some statement about what we're prepared to do as a franchise. I just I can't I can't go that far. I gotta ask you one thing before you go. Like we just have to do this quickly because we're almost out of time. Of but yeah, saw you tweeting about Donda. Um, I've done two listens, 
And I feel like I still need a lot more because it's hard to get into a rhythm with this album because it's so long, which is hilarious to me. It's like people are like, not enough Kanye, not enough Kanye. and then he gives us two hours worth of music and people are like, too much Kanye. <laughs> like, but either way, what initial thoughts? Like how many times have you listened? What are just the initial review? It's way too long. Uh, it is it's too long. The, it's like the, in terms of the 10 Kanye albums, I currently have it eighth. But yeah. there are three songs off the album I just keep playing over and over and over. It's Believe What I Say, Jail, and Hurricane. Like those three songs off the album, mm. they're the ones I go back to the most. And like that's more than I did for Ye. That's more than I did for Jesus is King. Mm. So that's why I'm able to say it's the eighth best album Kanye has. It's not a it's not a terrible album. It's not a bad album, but it's not an amazing album. It's just it's okay. It wasn't really worth that yeah. long of the the hyping and the no. you know the the live streams or whatever. But okay, I guess I can live with this. I can yeah. live with those three songs in rotation. Yeah, I really like Jesus Lord. Um, it's really a long song, but it's a very good song that I like. But you're right. Yeah. To me, this is like a song. This is an album where you take some songs off of it and put them onto playlists. Jail for yeah. sure, right? Like there are just there are songs where you go, okay, this is now going to be on a playlist that I put out here, but I'm never going to be like who is ever going to listen through this album? Where it's like Pablo for me, the beauty of it, and like Jesus and. I love the whole album. Like, I like the way that it flows. I like the way that I sit into it, and it just, you know, it was a start to finish. I'm not really skipping songs. This is one where there's just no way in hell that I'm ever going to listen to the full album start to finish other than this week. <laughs> you got it right. Plus, plus, if we get certified lover boy at the end of the week, yeah, oh, forget yeah, it. Gonna... Like, everyone's just going to go <laughs> over to Drake because Drake, yeah. even if Drake yeah. does the same thing where it's like, okay, like 26 songs or fewer songs yeah. that are going to be up on playlists, like, it flows a lot better, a lot more fun no. songs, more quotable lyrics. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. No, uh, I think my buddy Sam told me that Donda actually did the second most streams of any album that had debuted on Spotify, which is nuts. And I knew it would do crazy numbers and there was a ton of hype behind it, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think Certified Lover Boy is going to just ob obliterate it. And this whole thing, I don't know if you've seen Kanye saying that the label put the album out before yeah. he wanted them to, kind of insinuating yeah. that he wasn't afraid of the Drake head-to-head. -head. And I'm like, all right, man. Well, you know, that's the true sign of your craziness if you weren't any afraid of Drake going head-to-head because -head, he would have smoked this album, and I think he is going to smoke it. So, And I'm a Kanye mm -hmm, guy. Right. Like, this is this is coming I from a too. Kanye guy. Yeah, so... Um, yeah. Either way, I'm looking forward to September 3rd. Uh, let's just put it that way. I think I'll listen to that album probably a few more times when I listen to Donda. Dude, this was great. We ran long, and I appreciate it. Hey, man. I'm, I'm always happy to, to kick it with you, man. Uh, I know Ben's usually always. with you, but it's always cool to kick it with you, too. Yeah, I know. Well, Ben, sounds like that's what he says. He's like usually with me, but he hasn't been here for a month. This guy's just like, you know, having a good old time on writing. Vacationing? Uh, um, no. Well, I mean... Yeah, because he's getting carried by the guys on writer's block. It's like a vacation for him. He's uh, there with like these like Hall of Famers who are just doing the whole show, and he just has to be like, what do you think, Stephen Brunt? And then he gets quiet for half an hour, and it's good. Uh, <laughs> that's it. It's a good he's actually gig. been really good on the show. Yeah, it is a free, it's, a good, it's a good gig if you can get it. Good work if you can get it. Uh, Julian McKenzie of The Athletic. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Peace. We're right up against it. Good show. Sports Info 9 of the Fan.